The Big Show with Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Show 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. We've got jazz action coming up tonight, taking on the Dallas Mavericks. Pre-game begins at 5.30. Tip-off at 6.30. But let's get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at SmartRain.net. He makes the ha- the magic happen for KSLSports.com. He covers the jazz. He's our good friend Ben Anderson with us here on The Big Show. What's up, Ben? What's going on, Jake? How are you, man? I'm good, buddy. I had I had kind of one of those days, though, where, you know, it was up late going to a concert last night today. Uh, dishwasher broke. Ice machine broke. Oh, you no. know, waiting for service yeah. people. Find out no. I got to get new dishwasher, you know. And it's not like there's anything going on in uh, our professional lives or anything. So, like, it's... <laughs> it's not like there's been any turmoil. Yeah. So, you know, just one of those things where it rains and pours. So, I'm, I'm slapping on a good attitude. Oh, did I mention I'm getting buried on, uh, on Twitter by youth fans, too. So I've also got that going for me. It's a good day. Oh, no. What did you do to Utah? Oh, I talked about how Utah recruited over Cam Rising twice. And I've actually had that opinion. This is kind of funny, like what sticks with people and, and what doesn't. I've been basically saying that for almost a year. And all of a sudden, one guy picked up on it yesterday. And it, it just, as you know, tailspins. Yeah, it, uh, it gets away from you pretty quickly if you're not yeah. careful. But, you know, Ben, as you know, uh, you know, if you're a senior transfer and you're a quarterback, you're going to go somewhere where you, you're not going to play, you know? You're, yeah, mean, right, exactly. Right. Yeah, And also, you know, it's not like the youths have had new uh, success bringing in freshmen and letting those guys develop until they're seniors like Travis Wilson or, or uh, you know, any of the successes that they've gone out there and been able to have. So they've got Tyler Huntley, you know, may, maybe try that again instead of trying to go out and get those senior transfers to uh, step in and fix all your problems. All right, Ben, let's let's talk a little jazz basketball. I, I really want to get into the GM survey uh, with you, and we'll do that coming up here momentarily. But what are you looking for tonight in a night where we're not going to see a whole lot of rotational guys? We're going to see some fresh faces, going to get another look at rookie Jared Butler, but kind of dive into what you're going to have your eye on tonight. Yeah, I guess I'm going to keep an eye on how uh, some of the younger guys play, specifically the second-year guys. I want to know what uh, Trent Forrest does. You know, he didn't play great, I didn't think, in their opener after having such a good summer league. Some of the floaters that he was able to hit seemingly at will when uh, when he was playing in Salt Lake or in Las Vegas, those didn't seem to work as well against the better sides of uh, the San Antonio Spurs on Monday night. So we'll see if he has a bit of a bounce-back game or if that position kind of ends up falling more in favor of Jared Butler. But then really looking at Elijah Hughes and Yudoka Azabuki as well. Uh, Hughes, you know, started, he didn't shoot particularly well. But if you actually look at his stat line the other night, he had, what, like eight rebounds and five or six assists? Like, that, those are very 
Royce O'Neal-y type numbers, and I think that's probably his role in the NBA. He's not going to be the guy he was at Syracuse. He's not going to have the ball in his hands a ton. But if he can rebound and he can play defense and he can get a couple of assists when he you know, attacks closeouts, he can be an NBA player. And the Jazz could use some more young, cheap talent. And uh, Elijah Hughes is the type of guy who could fill that role after having a very quiet rookie season. Yeah, that, that number jumped out to me, too, that he grabbed eight boards. He, I thought, you know, he didn't shoot the ball particularly well, three for ten, three for seven from three, but I, I thought he took advantage of having a, an opportunity to start, went out there and played hard. And, Ben, I, I was talking about this yesterday. There's a guy, in, and you could probably throw Trent Forrest in there a little bit, too, where last year was such a weird year, right? No camp, a weird G League bubble. I mean, you know, these guys need time on the floor and opportunities, and he just didn't get it. So I'm actually really curious to watch Elijah Hughes. Yeah, and look, three of seven from three is fabulous. If he can hit that and yeah. get that many shots off, the Jazz would take that. And if you can rebound and then hit threes, you're going to have a role in the NBA, and the Jazz can use a player like that. So that's definitely somebody to keep an eye on. And Jake, in the next few years, the Jazz are, I mean, they're already there, but they're going to be in a real salary crunch. So if you have a guy who could step in and do the role of an 8 or $9 million player and do it at $2 bucks, is that those guys have a ton of value for you. Ben, what uh, I guess, what are you expecting out of the Jazz this year? Again, we can dive into the GM survey where the GMs had the Lakers first in the West, but the Jazz second. The Jazz finished with the best record in the league last year. Some stretches where they were just unbelievable. But where are you laying out your expectations? Yeah, I, I think one of the things I'm trying to figure out is how much Quinn Snyder is buying into where the Jazz have to be in the regular season to end up having success in the postseason. And he even touched on this a little bit last year when the Jazz were kind of in that race and everyone was wondering what's going to happen without Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. Are they going to be good enough to be able to finish with the top record? And Quinn Snyder kind of repeatedly said, hey, you look at the, the teams historically, finishing with the best record in the NBA doesn't mean you're going to win the championship. It's not that important. And then the Jazz seemed to push really hard to get that best record. And I wonder if that was more tied to the fact that they weren't sure how healthy Donovan Mitchell was going to be. They didn't know where Mike Conley was going to be. It wasn't like they were just being extra cautious with those guys at the end of the season because those injuries cropped up again in the playoffs. So I wonder if they felt like they had to have home court advantage to have their best chance to advance. If they're healthier this season, maybe that's not the case. Then maybe Quinn Snyder, like we've already seen now through two play, uh, preseason games, I should say, maybe he's going to be a lot more willing to rest these guys, and, and not just in the preseason, but – at different points throughout the regular season. And if that's the case, then they're not necessarily going to be gunning for that top spot in the playoffs. Now, they're going to want to have home court advantage, at least in the first round. If you can have it in the second round, I think you're in good shape and have a chance to make the conference finals. But, you know, I, I think we're probably past the point of just measuring this team past regular season success. I just that They've proven that they can win during the regular season. Now they have to prove they can do it in the postseason, and that's going to come down to health and some other factors. So in the GM survey, and for folks that don't know out there, the, the NBA, it's, it's NBA.com. So the NBA surveys all their GMs and asks them a, a zillion different questions. And I actually thought the Jazz were, were fairly, you know, uh, positively evaluated by the rest of the league. But, uh, of course, Ben, we go through these things and we look for first, you know, where's the slight? What, what can we be angry about? And what I saw online is most folks were angry that Rudy Gobert was not mentioned in the who is the best center in the NBA. Nikola Jokic was number one with 63%, Joel Embiid two at 23%, and Giannis at three at 7%. But I didn't, I actually don't think that's much of a, a slight to Rudy Gobert, actually, when you look at that. I don't, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and again, they were only voting for who the first place center was. Right. They weren't kind of ranking one, two, right. and three. So 
I don't know if I'd vote. You know, in fact, I wouldn't vote Rudy Gobert as the best center in the NBA. In fact, you probably couldn't have voted. You know, nobody would reasonably after what Nikola Jokic did last year. And then Joel Embiid, before he got hurt, was also having an MVP-type season. So I don't think that's necessarily a slide on Gobert. I think you saw with some recency bias some of the issues that the Jazz had with Gobert on the floor in the playoffs. And I actually don't think those are Gobert's fault. But it's not a secret at this point that he's not a guy you can dump the ball down to and expect him to score when, when teams go small or teams defend him a different way. So uh, I don't necessarily think that that's a major slight. I was a little bit more surprised that you didn't see Donovan Mitchell's name anywhere no. in that GM survey. And there's only a couple of spots where he could have propped up, you know, when they ranked the best shooting guard or things like that. But Donovan Mitchell, I think at this point, is unquestionably a top five playoff player in the NBA. I mean, every single year over the last couple of seasons, he's been top two or three in scoring. He only had one leg last year, and the Clippers still had no idea what to do with him. Neither did the Memphis Grizzlies. So, you know, I, I think he's shown that he can be a legit superstar when he gets into the playoffs, and his name was completely absent. So maybe Donovan's gotten a little bit underrated somehow in this process. I thought, uh, and that that's a really interesting point, uh, and probably one that should have stood out more than the Rudy thing, because I, I agree with you on Rudy. I, I would have picked Joel Embiid, just because I think he's the most complete center. Uh, I know everybody loves Nikola Jokic, but he doesn't play the defensive side. So the same criticism that goes against Rudy, in my opinion, should, should the coin should be flipped and it should go against Jokic. But uh, they they were loving themselves from Quinn Snyder, and the thing that stood out to me in a from a positive standpoint, Ben, you know, he got... Uh, 14% of the vote for who is the best coach in the NBA, uh, putting him third. But when it came to which coach ran the best offense, Quinn Snyder, number one, and which coach has the best defense, Quinn Snyder was at number three. I thought that was extremely high praise for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of a testament to the, the, the type of coach he is. And I think he also received votes in best in-game adjustments. I don't know if he finished top four, but I think he also received a vote there. So, there's a ton of respect for Quinn. And, look, he finished third behind Eric Spolstra, who I think definitely belongs in that conversation as one of the top four or five guys in the league. Monty Williams finished second. I get it. He just took the Suns to the finals. I don't actually know if Monty Williams is you know, one of the best coaches in the NBA as opposed to just having a ton of success recently. But it didn't have Greg Popovich in the top three. It didn't have Rick Carlisle in the top three, and we know how, both, how good both of those guys are. But, you know, Quinn Snyder now, when he's going to his eighth, season with the Jazz, he's definitely deserving of this praise. He's as good as it gets right now. And you want a coach that gets more out of their talent than the other average coach would. And and while the Jazz have a ton of talent, I still think Quinn gets the most out of them. So pretty overwhelmingly, the GMs picked the Lakers in the West. 80% of the first place votes. The Jazz uh, second, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, Phoenix third. I, I guess I understand why um, the the GMs like the Lakers, but I was surprised it was so uh, overwhelming. Do, do you think Westbrook, LeBron, Davis is the the is is that going to work? I, I think here's what I'm curious about. LeBron is probably going to come out and have something to prove again this season, the same way he did two years ago. You remember his first season in LA? They yeah. didn't make the playoffs. It was the first time since his rookie season that his team didn't make the playoffs. So he came out and wanted to run away with it, and certainly they did. They ended up with the top seed in the West two seasons ago. They won the championship in Orlando in the bubble, and LeBron was kind of redeemed. And then last year again, they fell to, what, sixth, seventh, wherever they finished in the, in the playoff standings. I guess it was seventh because they had to play the Suns, who was a second-place team. So I, I think LeBron, Russ, Anthony Davis are going to want to come out and prove a point that, 
hey, we're still the best in the West. We still can win all these games. I'm going to play, you know, 75-plus games, and, and we're going to show you how good we are. I, I think that's certainly possible. But, again, I don't know if that necessarily means they're going to be the best team in the playoffs. And, and Jazz have seen it firsthand. You know, Russell Westbrook is volatile in the playoffs. So we, we saw him with a higher-seeded Oklahoma City Thunder team with Paul George lose to the Jazz and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert's first kind of real, real taste of the playoffs. Gobert had been there the year before, but he got hurt against the Clippers. So I, I think Russ can be as good or as bad as he wants to be in the playoffs and can certainly shoot you out of a series and, and play you out of a series. So I think they'll have the best record in the regular season. I think they're probably going to push for that because LeBron, you know, his ego wants to support that. But I don't know if that necessarily means they're the best team in the West. They might not be better than either the Jazz or the Suns. So, Ben, this is a very uh, layered question, but is Brooklyn's chances in the East going to depend on whether or not Kyrie Irving gets a vaccination? Um, yes. Here's the problem. So here's the thing with, with Kyrie. You can't push back against Kyrie Irving. If you force him to get the vaccine, and this is where Brooklyn, this is what their problem is right now. If you force him to get the vaccine and the owners say you have to do it or we're going to trade you, he's absolutely not going to do it. You have to let him feel like he's coming to this conclusion on his own, even though every kind of financial and successful direction points to him having to get this vaccine. You have to make him feel like he made this choice, which is kind of how he's done everything in his career. So you have to find a way to get him there. And I honestly suspect my gut tells me because we've seen Kyrie love to make so much drama about himself. He loves to be the center of attention, good or bad. He's going to run this up as long as he can until the start of the regular season. And then he's going to get the vaccine and say, hey, look, I'm ready to go for game one and we're going to be really good. The problem is if he doesn't do that, not just him not being on the floor and not playing, I don't think Kevin Durant or James Harden are strong enough leaders to be able to withstand this type of drama. You remember James Harden and Chris Paul derailed a season where the Rockets probably should have won a championship because they couldn't get along. Kevin Durant couldn't handle the success of being in Golden State and not getting more credit. And I know it's more nuanced than that, but I think those guys are bizarrely susceptible to distraction, you know, good or bad. And, and Kyrie Irving is nothing but a distraction at this point in the NBA. So he's a terrific player. He can help you win when he's on the floor, but he seems to like the drama more than he likes just about anything else. So, Regardless of whether he gets the vaccine or not, I guess at this point, I think it's going to be really hard for them mentally. And with a brand new head coach like like uh, Steve Nash, who only has one season under his belt, I just don't know if they're going to be able to get this ship headed in the right direction consistently enough to win a title, even though they're by far the most talented team in the league. That's an interesting point about uh, Kyrie having that type of personality where he's going to 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 push back, and uh, you know, regardless of how people feel about the about the vaccine out there, the Jazz uh, by being 100 percent vaccinated have spared themselves a tremendous headache. And you know, Andrew Wiggins uh, talked about how he got the vaccination uh, the other day because you know he's you he, it's not an option to not be able to play home games. You know that's. That's not going to work going forward. Right. It'll be interesting to see if Kyrie Irving falls falls in line. I, I feel for him in a weird way. Uh, look, I, I, I get it's everyone's personal choice. I, I understand that aspect of it. Honestly, I'm not trying to get into a vaccine debate. But I will say this. I look at the guys around the NBA who have taken kind of this vocal uh, opposition to it, and it's Trey Burke. It's uh, 
Jonathan Isaac in Orlando. It's Michael Porter Jr. in Denver. It's Andrew Wiggins. It's Kyrie Irving. It's like the, the who's who of guys you don't want being the voice of your team. You know, it's these guys who are always kind of headed in this different direction on the floor. I'm not even talking about what they do off the floor. Just kind of the decisions they make on the floor that don't tend to make a consistent amount of sense uh, are, are the guys who keep pushing in this direction. So I think that's where some of my even weirdest hesitancy comes. If I'm a basketball fan, not the vaccine, you know, not whether I believe in the vaccine or not, but, but as a basketball fan, that it's those names that are kind of the top of this list. That's what's so sketchy to me about it and why I kind of don't believe they're going to be able to fix it in Brooklyn. So Ben, uh, forgive me for circling back around to to Donovan Mitchell, but uh, I want to I want to bring this up with you because he's uh, over his career he's been so good at improving, you know, and he'll come back, he'll go into the lab in an off season and he'll come back. And uh, Quinn Snyder said when when Donovan was a rookie, uh, it was a real challenge to to coach to come up with things for Donovan to work on because he he consumed it so quickly, and I think he's improved as a result. So I guess my question is, how does Donovan go from where he is now? to the guy that can't be left off the GM survey? What does he need to add to his game? I don't think we're ever going to see him become this great defensive player. He'll get better, and I think the Jazz actually probably did miss a little bit of his length and athleticism as he clearly wasn't fully healthy uh, against the Clippers last year. But it might just be as simple as you know pushing his 38% three-point percentage up to 40%. You know, it, it might just be a couple of percentage points here and there, getting another half of a free throw attempt a game, just to up his efficiency and his effective field goal percentage. Like, I, and then they're kind of boring at that point, but that's how good he is. You know, yeah. He's just an incredibly good offensive player at this point in his career. Certainly, as I mentioned, already one of the best in the playoffs on the offensive side of the ball. He averages almost 30 points a game. So it's just going to be a matter of you know, taking up those boxes a tiny bit, turning it up to 11, you know, so to say. He's just going to be able to take the things he's good at and improve them. I don't know if it's necessarily these, you know, kind of dramatic things we've never seen before. It's going to be poise. It's going to be timing. It's going to be leadership. It's going to be clutch play and a, and a couple of percentage points. But I, I don't think it's all of a sudden he's going to have this, you know, fabulous addition to his game that we've never seen. Maybe he shoots a couple of feet further out on threes, which changes the dynamic of the spacing, things like that. But it's probably going to be more subtle at this point than anything dramatic. All right, Ben, before we let you go, tell us a little bit about your piece today up at kslsports.com, talking a little Rudy. Yeah, guys, actually what I'm doing right now is I'm doing a 50-story countdown starting, geez, 36 days ago now, going up to opening night. So I started 50 days out uh, and have a story coming out every day, including the weekends leading up. And kind of interesting, Rudy Gobert going for his fourth Defensive Player of the Year award in five seasons. Uh, and what actually might determine, I was surprised to see this again looking back, it might be who backs him up. It might not have anything to do with really how good Rudy is on the floor. We know Rudy's fantastic. We know he's the best rim protector in the NBA and really just the best defender in the NBA. But the three last years that he's won the DPOY, he had Derek Favors backing him up. The one year he didn't, Derek Favors was in New Orleans. So let's see what Hassan Whiteside and Yudoka Azabuki can do backing up Gobert to see if they can keep the Jazz uh, defensive rating high enough that at the end of the season they're still in the top five. And you look at the best defensive player on that team, and it's Gobert which keeps his candidacy for the award. So if that happens, he's probably already a Hall of Fame player. If the Jazz can't keep up their defensive rating, it it could hurt his chances because he's already kind of right there on the borderline. It's a lot of riding, Ben. How's the, the carpal tunnel? How are the, how are the digits? It, it, 
Better than a broken dishwasher. <laughs> hey, man. This is going to be a great year for the Jazz. This is going to be a really fun year to cover, and uh, I, I know you're going to have a lot to write about. 50 things, that's amazing. But there's a lot. There's a lot to this team, and, and we're, we're going to have a fun one, I think. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to cover it, and we'll talk to you soon, Jake. Thanks, Ben. You're the man. That's our friend Ben Anderson, kslsports.com.